Welcome to the International Civil Society Center's Futures and Innovation Podcast. My name is Nyamburan Bogwa. I'm a communications consultant based in Nairobi and passionate about knowledge sharing and information accessibility. The Center's annual innovation report brings into focus innovations that can benefit international civil society organizations and also shows in turn how these organizations are benefiting society in challenging or complex contemporary contexts. This podcast episode forms part of the 2022 edition on civil society innovation and digital power shift, highlighting promising innovations by civil society organizations in delivering solutions for digital inclusion. In each of these podcast case stories, we really want to lift the lid on these innovations and hear directly from the people at the heart of designing and delivering them. Today, we're talking with the Internet Society about their project on community networks. In particular, we are highlighting the Scaling Opportunities Program in Murambinda, Zimbabwe. Today, I am joined by Mishuki Mwangi, the Distinguished Technologist for Internet Growth at Internet Society. With us as well is Verengai Mambika, the Senior Policy Advisor for Africa, also at the Internet Society. And finally, Joseph Bishi joins us as the project lead for Morambinda Community Network based in Zimbabwe. I would like to ask, who is your organization and what do you do? Meshuki, would you like to take this? Thank you, Nyambura. It's a pleasure for us to be here with you today. The Internet Society's vision is that the internet is for everyone. We believe in a world where the internet means opportunity. And over the last 30 years since the Internet Society was founded, we've seen people use the internet to be more creative, be more innovative, to use it for determining their own futures and have a positive impact in their livelihood. We are hoping that using the fundamental principles that guide, that have made the internet to be successful over the years, the next 30 years are going to be equally productive, equally effective in using this internet resource as a tool that is used to addressing the world's biggest challenges, growing and protecting and strengthening the internet so that it can continue to be an essential tool and resource for the next decades to come. You have covered what the big idea of the organization is, but I would like to ask, why does this project or program matter? It matters because nearly 3 billion people are living without internet access. We've seen how important the internet is during the pandemic. And we've also seen that it's a critical enabler for sustainable development and the base for an emerging digital economy. But at the same time, we see that we are continuously facing challenges where fewer people are coming online on a daily basis because the current models of providing internet service are not able to reach everyone and everywhere because of the economic models that are used. So we are looking at community networks as complementary connectivity solutions that are helping to bring connectivity to those in rural and underserved areas or hard to reach places of the, of the planet. And we'd like to make sure that everybody has that choice to get connected. Excellent, and definitely a worthwhile endeavor to ensure that everybody has equal um, access to the internet. One thing I would like to ask is how did the idea originate of community networks? So the idea of community network originated from the 
understanding that connecting rural and underserved communities really takes a different approach or requires a different approach. And this is looking at how do we connect those who have different environmental settings or social settings where mm -hmm. the business case, the current business models of connecting people does not really apply. Taking that perspective, we, the understanding is that we needed to turn the model upside down, the bottom-up model. And so community networks are really built by and for the communities that they serve. So they take into account their needs, their challenges, goals, and everything that really is dependent on the community for the community network to thrive. If you look at mm. the current model, it's purely based on a commercial concept of where they bring a service and there will be uptake. But in the rural and underserved communities, they have limited expendable income. And so the values for having a community network are much, much different compared to those in urban centers where they have more expendable income and, and other needs that are uh, to a certain extent dependent on having connectivity. Based on the experience we've had in building community networks all the way from Murambinda to New York City in urban areas where they are still underserved, we've taken a lot of lessons in understanding how to build these networks from a community perspective, empowering the communities to actually build, operate, and own their own networks and infrastructure. Of course. And actually, speaking of a bottom-up approach, you've really touched on something that I was going to ask about the theory of change in terms of the wider power dynamics in the system. And so it's interesting that you say that you worked everywhere from Kenya to Africa to New York. Can you speak more about how community networks intervene in the system or power dynamics in terms of all these places that you have been able to set up internet connections? So for that, I'll hand over to my colleague, Berengai, who can talk more about the elements of the power dynamics. Thanks, Michuki, and thanks again, Nyambura, for, for having me on, on, on this interesting discussion. I would say as a general comment on our community networks, we, we believe that they are an important connectivity solution because they take into account, I think uh, Michuki emphasized on this point, they take into account the community needs uh, when they do deploy. This means that they are developed to solve real life challenges. So things that are actually happening at a very low scale, they are also able to adapt to fit in within a, the community structures and uh, systems and customs. I think this is a very important aspect of uh, a successful community network. And the, the intentions behind these projects really is just to address the people's needs and uh, again, re-emphasizing that this is more of a demand-driven um, approach. And when a, a community network is established, it also feeds into the bigger picture, fostering uh, social and economic development. And, and when, when people come online, we've seen this uh, in, with, with the many communities that we're working with, when people do come online, they're able to learn, they're able to you know, make use of the internet as they see fit and they become part of the, the, the world of creators rather than just consumers. So, so I think this is an important aspect that needs to be emphasized here. Excellent. Thank you, Verengai, for that answer. And thank you for pointing out that it's a demand-driven approach and that this then allows for people who are newly connected to the internet to be able to create as well as to interact on the internet. So one thing I wanted to talk about and that has been touched on 
is the fact that this is definitely demand driven and manufactured by the people as well. So how has design equity been factored and achieved when setting up community networks? We believe that the topics which are covered under the principles for digital development are actually mm. at the heart of community network development. Part of the way we take up, we approach the issue or the aspect of community network development is understanding the community and taking their input and adapting the concept to, the, uh, to solving local challenges that the community has identified. And that's why we refer to it as a bottom-up process in which 80% of it is spent where with the community to try and mobilize the community to understand what does it take to build a community network, what is expected, what are the aspects that they should bear in mind, what issues is it coming to solve, because we do not want the community network to be there to just essentially give them access to the internet, but for them to actually be contributors, uh, not just consumers of the internet. There are many facets uh, uh, of the process in which we include community mobilization, discussions with the stakeholders, and just for them to have a better understanding, what is it that they are getting? And in our presentation to them, we sort of make sure they understand that what we're actually helping to do is build the infrastructure which we, they will mm. own and operate. So we don't really define it as the internet, but the infrastructure. And so it is for them to use this infrastructure as a resource that they can help better their livelihood, their social economic opportunities, and uh, mm -hmm. be basically uh, more empowered to improve the quality of life that they have in, in, in their current setting. But I would like to give this opportunity for Joseph to sort of talk through in terms of the experience they've had in Murambinda. Thank you so much, Shuki. Thank you, Nyambura, for having me. So just giving probably a brief background about Murambinda. So the initiative got established since 2001 as a cyber cafe offering uh, internet connectivity and digital literacy training under the name of Vision Internet. And then, you know, it was a platform where we introduced a new era to the community, which was more of a community engagement aspect or component. And then demand began to grow, which resulted it into turning into a fully-fledged community network uh, after the support of the inner society and other partners. So it is in our African context where everyone's contribution is greatly valued regardless of age, regardless of religion or gender whatsoever. So we greatly appreciate each and everyone's contribution when it comes to development and everything that concerns a community. So we have a problem locally here that says it takes a village to raise a child. Meaning to say it is in everyone's responsibility to nature to guide a child into its maturity. In the same way, having community networks or having the community being involved in the build-up of community networks ensures that your attempt to bring a new destiny before them, the responsibility to challenges and opportunities is literally shared, which will bring the initiative into its sustainability and maturity. 
Joseph, in terms of collaborative partnerships, is there a partner at ground level that has been instrumental into the success of the community network in Murambinda? Definitely, you know, the first partner is the committee itself. You need the regulator to give you the spectrum to achieve whatever you want to achieve in terms of building a, a telecommunication infrastructure. So we got support from the government itself through uh, the Ministry of ICT and Korea Service, also Portras, the regulator, which offered us uh, a free pilot license to launch this project. And it has shown great interest to support scaling it up across the country. Excellent. And so can we think about how participants are able to provide direct feedback about the efficacy of the community network? What are some of the wider influences or impacts that you're seeing beyond the intended purpose of this intervention? The main thing to watch out for is if the community network is fulfilling the needs as expressed by the community itself when the deployment started. In this case, if, if that is happening, it's a good sign that it is working. So it's also important to look at the sustainability aspect and this is quite key. It's something that we, we, we are always tracking to see if the community network is able to grow on its own organically and to also reach out to a, a broader um, audience or a broader community. So at, at the deployment uh, stage, we're always emphasizing the need to have a plan that will sort of flesh out those sustainability issues. There are many ways in which, in, in which a community network can shape the world outside of its own community. One of them, of course, is, is when a community network is putting new frameworks for regulations or policy. You mentioned that in most countries in Africa, actually, today, there may not be a policy framework that accommodates the establishment of a, a community network. But when the effort starts, there's, of course, need to start you know, engaging with the regulators and policymakers. And when this happens, it's getting outside of the community scope and, you know, opening up opportunities for, for others outside of its community. And for example, in the case of Zimbabwe, where, when Murambinda network, community network started, they were able to open up the space from a policy point of view. And now we, we, we are seeing an opportunity for, for growing and scale up from other communities. So yeah, I think this is one important aspect. And we are also seeing that uh, you know the connectivity is going beyond just the the community now they're connecting mm. many schools about 80 schools hospitals improving you know agriculture in the region and and many other things so i think this is one aspect of uh, influence and impact that we are seeing with uh, this community network joseph would you like to add something to that it is more satisfying when you cease to be the only person talking about the story of community network, but anyone from the community being able to speak about it, you know, mm, it's quite that's a very important point. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a very key point to to tell the story and to see that it is really impacting or the influence is growing widely and it can even grow faster. So we mm. the, the issue of Ramina community network is actually a true inspiration of how a distance community in the rural plains of Zimbabwe mm. has been united to find its place beyond marginalization, overcoming the limitations that inhabit other rural communities. The subject yes. matter is, is, is now uh, a national subject on national television, national radios, 
yeah, with a special reference, of course, of Morambinda. Uh, and it is not me talking about, but anyone who has benefited from it. And uh, through the initiative, we have seen a number of things uh, uh, being influenced, for instance, a national uh, policy change uh, with the regulator for trust, changing the policy to a virus spectrum to accommodate community networks. We have seen the government coming to commission the project last year in May as mm -hmm. the first community network in the country as a, as a national model to replicate in other districts across the country towards bridging digital divide. And uh, we have seen the government donating computers to schools which we connected and uh, even paying bandwidth for some other schools which are resource constrained. We've seen Maraminda hosting a national community network conference, a national community network conference where youth across the country converge to Muramida, a growth point, not a town, but a rural growth point, to be capacitated on how they can replicate the, course, the concept in their respective community. And uh, we've Oh, that's seen really also, incredible. Yeah, it, it is quite encouraging. We've mm. seen even Fortress willing to utilize their universal fund to support establishment of more community networks this year. And uh, this year, again, we are going to have another conference, you know, uh, to see which communities come on board and how can we further polish and, uh, and, uh, and uh, smoothen this concept and this idea. And uh, we have been also participating with other international communities, countries, engaging and sharing experience and exchanging notes. Community nows are able to do more things online. They are able to do learning. They are able to do teaching. They are able to explore opportunities on e-health, e-commerce, and unlocking as many uh, opportunities as possible. Thank you, Joseph, for that answer. To move on, I would like to talk about what are the key metrics which you are tracking progress or performance of community networks. And to further that question, is there a base number of users that is needed to create a community network? In rural areas, perhaps not everybody might have the correct equipment. So how do you bridge that gap? There are many different metrics uh, to tracking uh, progress. And maybe we can split these into two. The metrics that we are using to track at a higher level and those that we are using at a, at a lower level. I'll speak to the higher level metrics and maybe Joseph can... Okay speak to what they are tracking at a, at a community level point of view. So at a high level, we, we are mm -hmm. tracking impact from a number of countries that are recognizing CNs as complementary solutions. So recently in Africa, for example, we are seeing countries like Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, Zimbabwe, making progressive policy changes to enable CNs to emerge and to thrive. So this is, this is quite a, at a national level. And at a high level, we are also seeing that the African Union, for example, and the International Telecommunications Union have also recognized the uh, complementary solutions. So we are always checking on, on, on those kind of metrics to see if there are any policy changes, regulatory changes. And uh, together with our partners, we, we, we do work with uh, one of our, our biggest partners, uh, Association for Progressive Communications, APC. We are also seeing quite a number of organizations that are coming forth to support the CN uh, movement. I, I could mention a few organizations such as Swedish SIDA, the European Union, GIZ, and, and the ITU as well. So th th these, are, these are the changes that we are observing at a large scale from organizations that are willing or that are interested to explore these methodologies and also the policy changes that are happening. 
Joseph, I think you have something to add too. So for the network specifically, we can track how many active users are there up and downtime. And many other metrics can measure network performance. We can also look at the area coverage to make sure we can reach uh, most of the community with good services. Also, achieving sustainability is one of the more important indicators that a community network is meeting a key number mm. of its intended objectives. It is also one of the key challenges that many CMs uh, face at the beginning, uh, the issue of sustainability. In more general terms, we look at how it's improving other aspects of community life, such as education, healthcare, and its sustainability. So Mramina Community is actually a genuine creative community innovation that has taken a very powerful giant step in the direction of development that would redefine the status of many remote towns or marginalized communities in present-day Zimbabwe. We see more requests for connectivity to accommodate communities close by and even far from our area. We even get uh, more requests from people who live in the diaspora outside of Zimbabwe on how we can connect uh, their rural communities so that they can improve their schools, their their whole clinics back home, and even to engage with their families. Excellent. And I also wanted to add, in terms of sustainability, do you consider the education for business holders as well as part of what makes this model sustainable? Definitely, because, you know, the infrastructure being available, you can now create some platforms or expose them to platforms where they can get various educational content to mm. improve their business and even to create platforms right? like, for instance, we have uh, e-commerce platforms, uh, which are called to my where people are able to sell their produce online and reaching out to clients which are far away from even the rural communities. Thank you for your very thought out answer. And to carry on, I would like to ask everybody on the call, what are the main takeaways for other organizations based on this experience on a higher level, but also on a, at a ground level? And as well, what are the opportunities that you see for other international civil society organizations or CSOs to help support the growth of community networks? So this is a really good question. And one of the key things that we've been able to establish so far is that Community networks are not just a theory. They are actually successful in practice. And they are, have been able to establish themselves as a viable complementary solution to connecting those in rural and underserved areas because they make business sense case in terms of how they are built, operated, and managed. And they also help bridge gaps that uh, already exist and they're able to actually do so in, in a manner that is, I'll say, enabling different. By that, we mean that we're actually empowering the communities to build an own infrastructure, which they previously would not do. We've seen this happening in other settings where if, if, you, you, if you know of water projects or borehole projects in rural communities that have been built and operated by communities that have been successful, we are very much so seeing a similarity emerging around community networks that really emulates the successes that we've seen with community water projects. And so this is something that empowers the community. And that means that 
as we get past the pilot phase, because what we've been doing by and large has been uh, looking at pilot scenarios um, to prove the concept. We are saying now it's not a concept that needs proving, it's a concept that actually works. And so we would like to encourage more organizations to come on board to help support the building of more community networks. We would like to bring uh, regulators and policymakers on board to help create that enabling environment so that more community networks can emerge and also more partners to help in developing the capacity of the communities that need the community networks or the infrastructure. These are the key three areas where we think other community, international civil society organizations and others can actually come in. And this is basically just do the mobilization and training of rural communities and those in those areas to understand how to take up, build, and operate a community network. Also do outreach and identify funding that will need to be brought in to support the bootstrapping process or the initial phase build of the community networks. Because a lot of the efforts that we've undertaken through directly as the Internet Society, through the Internet Society Foundation, and also our partners, is support the building of the initial phase. Once we help build the initial phase, the revenues that are generated by the community network actually enable it to build subsequent phases that are needed to to increase the coverage area. And so the real need here is to bootstrap the funding that is needed to bootstrap community network infrastructure at the beginning. And then finally, another area that's really important is advocating for better policies and regulations. This, as, as Joseph mentioned and Verengai, is that you know, policy and regulation is one of those biggest barriers that we've seen, barriers to entry for any new community network to be established. Because, as you would imagine, people who are actually needed are in rural areas. They are not accustomed to interfacing with regulators and policymakers. If anything, if you look at how policymakers and regulation is designed in the modern day, it's purely targeting a commercial entity that has the resources and the expertise to engage with the regulator, to talk about licensing and, um, and, and those kind of taxation and those kind of issues. But the rural yeah. folks may not understand what licensing <laughs> regulation is. So we, mm. we need to have the CSOs coming in to advocate for changes so that it creates um, an, an easier entry level for people in those areas who are looking to set up community networks. Now that there's a full understanding that we are actually bringing non-traditional, using a non-traditional approach to building infrastructure, then the policymakers and the regulators will have the framework in place such that if you come from, and Kenya has really made an important step in this case, where they've created a new policy and regulation that says, if you're a community network, your entry level is very low. You know, um, it's uh, the license fee is just about $50. And, you know, you're just filling a very simple basic form and you're, you're, you're ready to go. So yeah. lowering that barrier will mean that you're creating more opportunity for new community networks to emerge. So we're hoping that we'll get a lot more of these local partners because to scale, you need a lot more people in country supporting communities across the entire continent whether it's Africa, but, you know, um, around the world as well, mm. to be able to, to set up. And these uh, CSOs really are a good 
I'll say partner, intermediary partner, we refer to them as meso, meso partners who are able to bring together their communities and uh, connect them to the various points within the local um, environment to get what they need to build a community network. Some of the other areas where he would see the opportunities for CSOs. So, you know, Yambora, gone are the days uh, where prosperity is defined by the gap between others who have the privilege and the exposure to certain opportunities than others. And I think technology advancement in the context of our African values is the change that brings a community in a place of relevance. You know, besides all the issue that we saw being unlocked by the issue of uh, community to being in Murambinda education, health, and so forth. The Murambinda community was able to hack the COVID-19 global crisis pandemic, you know, which changed the way of doing things uh, where people could not travel, but information continued to travel within the vicinity of Murambinda. People continued to do business uh, through e-commerce platforms uh, that uh, we managed to deploy it on a local platform basis where you need to access them offline. And, uh, you know, this uh, actually brings communities to have equal access to these opportunities and to vital information, which cast away a lot of fear to them. So I believe today funding is one of the critical issues, as um, Chuki said, uh, you know, there's need to support these young people who are in the rural areas to unlock their potential and their talents in resolving and changing their communities. And being it a bottom-up approach, it is more powerful in the sense that it is the people who are willing to stay in the place, who are being the pioneers or the lead to solve their community challenges. So stewardship is attained, sustainability is easily even attained. And more funding opportunities to uh, allow these communities to do some research properly, well-documented research, which can be gathered and be shared among policymakers so that uh, the policy are, are continued to be polished towards supporting marginalized communities and rural communities. And even more collaboration from the international communities to unlock certain potential in certain industry like, you know, the power, harnessing solar energy, renewable energy is needed because that network infrastructure needs energy, needs the power. even to contextualize all sorts of things that the community does by the use of uh, digital means would be helpful to advance this community and to ensure that no one is left behind in these times. And so finally, for my last question, I would like to touch on what are the main different scenarios for the next five years that you factor in for new developments or opportunities for how others might be able to use and develop the technology, or the technology being community networks. How do you see the next five years impacted positively or negatively by its intended purposes? One of the primary things that will be taking place in, in the next five years is changes in terms of policy and regulations across many countries around the world. For Africa, we are working on establishing what we call a policy observatory tool that will help us track the changes, the countries that are making positive changes towards recognizing community networks or creating an enabling environment for community networks. We're also hoping that there will be policy changes towards 
including the unlicensed 6 gigahertz spectrum band, and because this will offer more opportunities for future deployments. We are also hoping that there will be also other policy considerations. As Joseph has mentioned, we, um, they, they are seeing interest from the regulator in Zimbabwe, Potras, to provide access to the universal service and access funds for the use of supporting deployments for community networks. We hope that this will be a trend that will be catching on across the world, not just in Africa, because it will unlock meaningful support in terms of funding to help bootstrapping that process of building community networks. We are also hoping that other organizations will continue joining the efforts and providing the necessary support. We're really pleased to see what the ITU is doing with like the partner to connect digital coalition initiative because it, it is really highlighting the key issues around connecting the unconnected and other partners like APC and the International Development Organizations, FCDO among others. Uh, so the more people can coalesce around this issue, the more resources will be made available, the more considerations will be put in on the policy front and the regulatory front and so on, so that we can see more community networks emerge. So that's one thing we'll also, we'll, we'll, that, those are two things that we'll like to see happening. Another area that is really emerging that's uh, of particular interest, addressing the issue of backhole capacity to these rural areas. Not all rural areas will have the benefit of being close to a fiber or a telecom infrastructure that can provide affordable backhaul. There is an emerging trend around the low earth orbit satellites or LEOs as they're known in short, which means that there is a new opportunity to use satellite as a way of providing backhaul connectivity at affordable and low pricing for community networks. So we, we are hoping that that trend over the next five years, and we've seen quite a number of organizations launching constellation satellites to build a LEO constellation that is offering really attack what seems to be attractive, low priced and low latency. Uh, latency meaning that it's quite fast in getting to from one endpoint to another for, for the, the quality of, of service from a messaging perspective compared to the geostationary satellites, which have a much higher latency of over 400 milliseconds to get a signal from one point to the other. All these advantages are built into the LEO um, technology, and we are hoping that it will unlock opportunities to provide backhaul for community networks that are in, in far-flung areas where they are much further away from any terrestrial infrastructure that could help bring extend connectivity to them. So this is a, one area that we are hoping will help bring milestones in the future work of building more community networks in far-flung areas. And of course, another area which we really like to, to pay a lot of attention to is in the capacity development of these uh, rural communities, just to empower them with the knowledge around um, building, operating, and maintaining community networks. To this end, as an organization, we are hoping to launch a community network readiness assessment handbook this quarter, and we'll be able to complement it with an e-learning platform that will be available uh, later this year so that we can get more people to use, to understand how to support communities and build more 
community network. And we'll continue partnering with other, our key partners to get more community networks built. So those are sort of the things we are looking at this year and over the next five years as trends and areas where we would really like to see more, I'll say, concerted efforts to open up yeah. the space for community networks to thrive. Thank you so much. That was very detailed. I would like to end by asking Joseph as well, what is next for the Murambinda community network? Where do you see it expanding to in the future, in the next five years? So Murambinda aims to continue to expand its knowledge base. You know, we continue to learn as uh, these learning opportunities are going to be continually explored so that we can uh, upgrade even on our technological solutions, mainly to reduce the installation cost for these people who live in resource-constrained places, and uh, even to embrace new technology, which makes things easier for them, so that internet is available for everyone. We see in the next five years, yeah, the internet issue being more reliable and also even more affordable to average people in resource-constrained areas. We continue to share our experience with other communities so that they can even uh, scale up or even improve what we have started to pilot in the country so that more community networks uh, will be all over the country, uh, developing countries being improved into becoming digital economy countries. Thank you. We hope to see this work continue at a much, much larger scale. So thank you, everybody. Thank you so much, Yambura. You can find links to more information and resources on both this innovative work and the Center's 2022 Civil Society Innovation and Digital Power Shift Report in the podcast description. We would like to thank the Center's innovation partner, TechSoup, for kindly supporting this report. We would also like to thank the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation and the Ford Foundation for their support in making this project happen. And thanks as always to the podcast producer, Julia Passos. We couldn't do these episodes without you.